Thanks, sound guys. There we go. I'm just, I'm too excited, man. I'm ready to go. Here we go. Last week was fun. We started this series called Next Level. Now I'm probably talking way too high with the microphone on. I'm just pumped, okay? And, and so Next Level is all about going to that next step, going a little bit further with him because he doesn't just call us in to the lobby, right? We talked about video games last week. You get into a video game. My kids got into this video game for the first time they've never played before, and they were just in the lobby, you know, before the, even the first level, and they were impressed. They are like, this is great. And that's how it is in the kingdom of God. When you just enter into the lobby and you start to, man, experience God's people and his presence and the power of him, and you even make that decision to say, man, I, I want to get baptized. You know, you do those initial first steps. You're just walking into the lobby. But a lot of us, that's where we stop. And we never actually begin to play the game and move forward in our faith. And he wants to take us deeper. There are next levels he wants to take you. There's somebody in here right now. This is the first time you've ever heard that. This is the first time you've ever heard that. And God is speaking that into your life. He's saying right now, you've been sitting right here in the lobby. I'm about to take you deeper. I'm about to take you to a new level. And I'll tell you what, some of that, it began last week. Some of you, you experienced the Holy Spirit. You experienced a move of the Holy Spirit. And we keep praying for revival to break out, to break out in people's lives, to break out in people's families, to break out in the church, to break out in the city, to break out in the world. And sometimes I get a little ahead of myself and I forget revival can never come before repentance. Revival can never come before repentance. Sometimes we want revival without repentance. We want revival without reformation. We want revival without change. But the early church in Acts 2, when Peter first preached that sermon to the people that day, what did he say? He said, repent and be baptized. When you're baptized, you die to your old self and you are raised new. You are revived, made new. But before that part, there's repentance. And that, that's the part we don't always like to deal with, we don't like to talk about, we don't want to really talk about in the church in the West because that doesn't really bring people in and we want to fill seats in the Western church. We want to grow the church and grow our numbers and grow our profits or whatever some churches are out there doing. Uh, let me tell you something. When we started Revival, very early on, the very first thing he put on me was, we have to repent before we can be revived. And so that's, that's all over our website. That's all over, you know, our, you know, everything, like our mission statement, everything. It, it starts with repentance. Repent, revive, thrive. That's what we're all about. And a lot of church strategy people would look at that and be like, well, it's not very appealing, a church that's all about repentance. Well, <laughs> we don't care what the church strategy people say. We care what the gospel says. That's what we're all about. We're, we're going to start with truth, and we're going to end with truth. So as I was looking at the message this week, he, he started to lay some stuff on me because I, I wanted to help people go next level. I, I wanted to help bring people to that next level, walking into a deeper level with the Holy Spirit. But he reminded me once again, you got to go back to repentance. You can't have revival without repentance. So here we go. Leviticus 10, verse 1 through 5. 
We're going Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Leviticus 10, 1 through 5. Today, we're going to look at a couple stories that I, I've read in the past. Maybe you've read them. Maybe you've heard about them. Maybe not. Maybe this is your very first time ever. It, it doesn't matter. I, I will help give you some context here. These stories, when I first heard them, they made zero sense to me, okay? When you first hear them, they're, they're probably going to make zero sense to you. You're, here, let me just read it for you. Chapter 10, verse 1 through 5. This is after the people have been freed from Egypt, freed from slavery, and God is beginning to establish his people. And so along with his people, there is a standard of holiness that he is establishing. Holiness means to be set apart. And so what, what there were, there were lots of different people groups all over, and they all had different gods that they served and they followed. And, and God is establishing his people and how they will live and how they will be set apart from the rest of the world. It's a standard of holiness that he is setting for his people. Chapter 10, verse 1. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they put coals of fire in their incense burners, and they sprinkled incense over them. And in this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire. This was a part of worship, Okay? They burned the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. And the fire of the Lord just burning people down, smoking them crispy. Here we go. All right? Verse 3, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. He was their dad. Moses' brother, Aaron, he just sees his sons burned up by the fire of God. Then Moses called for Mishael and Elphazan, Aaron's cousins, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uziel, he said to them, come forward and carry away the bodies of your relatives from in front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward, picked them up by their garments, and carried them out of the camp, just as Moses had commanded. Like sometimes when we read that story, we kind of look at that and we're thinking, man, what was wrong? Like, I, I mean, they, they were supposed to burn incense and, and God says it right there. He, he says it's the wrong kind of fire. But they were still trying to worship God. They just used the wrong kind of fire. That seems like such a small detail, right? Like we look at that and we think, man, he's a God of grace and compassion. Why was it such a big deal that he had to burn them for using the wrong kind of fire? Exodus 30, verse 7 through 10. God had established what kind of fire to use. Exodus 30, verse 7 through 10. Every morning when Aaron maintains the lamps, he must burn the fragrant incense on the altar. And each evening when he lights the lamps, he must again burn incense in the Lord's presence. This must be done from generation to generation. Do not offer any 
unholy incense on this altar, or any burnt offerings, grain offerings, or liquid offerings. Once a year, Aaron must purify the altar by smearing its horns with blood from the offering made to purify the people from their sin. This will be a regular annual event from generation to generation, for this is the Lord's most holy altar. It's set apart. Go a little bit further there in Exodus 30, verse 34 through 38. They have a whole section here on the incense. Like, like there's stuff that we read in the Bible sometimes. If you just, if you started in January and you're saying, man, I'm going to read Genesis all the way through Revelation. I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. There's places that you're going to get to if you don't understand context or if you don't understand what's going on here or if you have no clue, that's okay. That's normal. But here at Revival, we want to dive into Scripture and we want to help people understand what was going on here. So here, this is going to give us the fuller picture of why Aaron's sons died that day trying to worship. The incense. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather fragrant spices, resin droplets, mollusk shell, galabum. We're like, what is this? Mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense. Weighed out in equal amounts. Using the usual techniques of the incense maker, blend the spices together, sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and holy incense. Pure and holy incense. Grind some of the mixture into a very fine powder and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant where I will meet with you in the tabernacle. God's presence will meet with them in the tabernacle. You must treat this incense as most holy. There, there is holiness in the details of God. There are details in your own life that you've been overlooking for years. And you said, that's not a big deal. That's not huge. That's okay. Everyone lives this way. Everyone ignores these things. Nobody lives this way anymore. There's holiness in the details. Never use this formula to make this incense for yourselves. It is reserved for the Lord, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes incense like this for personal use will be cut off from the community. So, so we look at what happened to Aaron's sons, and we think, man, what, what was God doing? That seems like he came down harsh on them. But he was clear from the beginning. There's a right way, and there's a wrong way. There's a holy way and there's an unholy way. There's holiness in the details. Second story. Second Samuel. Move a little bit further in the Old Testament if you're following along. If you don't have a Bible, man, here at Revival, we're all about Bibles. We put books and resources out here for free at the end. If you want to grab something, grab a Bible, grab one of those books over there. If they look interesting to you, we want to help resource people to go next level, to go deeper, okay? 2 Samuel 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, this is a story of David, okay? David has finally become king over Israel. Verse 1, then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah, to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart 
And they brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house, carrying the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets. Nobody knows what that is. Maybe Andrew does. And cymbals. You know what a castanet is? I have no idea what that is. I need to do some research on castanets. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God that carried God's presence. He steadied it. He's doing a good thing. They're, here they are. They're walking along, and they got the ark of God in this cart, and the oxen are carrying it. And they hit like a pothole. And I mean, it's like driving on maple after the winter, and it's terrible. Uh, and the ark is starting to go down, the presence of God. And this priest, this guy, he, Uzzah, he reaches out, and he steadies it. He's doing a good thing. He's doing a great thing. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. That story has always, like, just, I, I've read that a lot because I love the Old Testament. I love some of these stories. All they were doing was bringing the ark back to the city that God intended it to be. And so here they are bringing it back to Jerusalem. And, and what happens along the way, they're trying to do a good thing. And you look at what Uzzah did and you see him trying to reach out and steady it to keep it from falling. You think that's a good thing. Why did God strike him dead? I did not understand that story until this year. I finally got some revelation on that. Uh, man, that there's this guy that he's a great Bible teacher that I follow and I listen to. And I, when he explained this story, it just, it finally made sense. Let me, let me help all of us here. Let me help you see it. What's going on is there, once again, God had prescribed a certain way to move the ark. God is precise and exact in his details when it comes to his holiness and his presence. He had given them details all the way back in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy about how to handle being in the presence of God and what to do, even in moving the ark. And so with the Ark of the Covenant, how it was supposed to be moved is you would take these long poles and you would kind of like, you've probably seen something like this. You would stick them through this little slot on the ark and everybody would pick up the poles. Like if you're moving a, a casket at a funeral, you know, you got a pole, everybody holds onto it and you carry it, okay? There were these long poles that like ran all the way through these little circle notches on the ark. And the priests, they would come and they would carry the ark. And, and what happened here? Uzzah should have known that. The priest should know the book of the law. He, he should know what it says, the, prescri the prescription that God had said, the details God had given on how to move the ark. But somewhere along the way, he got lazy. Or somewhere along the way, he decided that wasn't that big of a deal. Some of the details, they don't matter. And so we're going to skip past that and do it the easy way. Because it's a lot easier to put it on a wagon and have oxen carry it 
then these guys have to pick it up and carry it and lift it and walk it all the way across from one place to the next. And they said, somebody was just like, you know, really smart guy around there was just like, guys, this is an easy way to do this, right? Let's put it on the cart and let the oxen do the hard work. And so that's what they did. They put the presence of God on the back of this cart. And I love this description, this, this Bible teacher. Uh, he, he describes it as, if you're moving a flat screen TV, anybody ever move a flat screen TV or a nice, you know, you got a TV that you really like, do you just like, do you just set it in the bed of a pickup truck and not strap it down or just, you know, not do anything with it, not secure it? Do you just set it back there and just start driving? You can, you can answer, yeah, no, thank you, no. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that to a TV. Why did they do it with the presence of God? Woo, that hit me. It's like, yes, there is holiness in the details. And if some of you said that you would do that with a TV, you're a liar or you're a maniac, all right? I've moved TVs, all right? I've I, I moved some of those big TVs. I took more care of some of those big, wide TVs even than what they took care of, of the presence of God. That's why he was struck down that day. And David, as the king, here's what it says about even the king's role. Even he sinned in that. Deuteronomy 17 through 18. When he sits on the throne as king, this is for any king of Israel, when he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction, the law, the details of God's holiness, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. The king and the priest failed that day. They decided the details didn't matter. First Chronicles 15, 11 through 15. This is later on. Then David summoned the priests, Zadok and Abiathar, and these Levite leaders, Uriel, Esaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, Aminadab. He said to them, you are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. David learned from his first mistake. He went back and he read what God had written and said and commanded all those years ago. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against them. I just spit all over, I burst all out right there. We failed to ask God Sorry, front row. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. Sometimes we're so in a hurry to move through life, we don't even ask God how to move properly through life. We don't even take the time to go to his word and see, am I in alignment with the creator? Man, that is good, right? This is his word. You can go ahead, church. 
when there's something that speaks to you, Holy Spirit is moving and working. Don't forget, this is a Hollaback church, all right? You can say amen. You can say yes, Lord. You can say, God, preach. Come on. Holy Spirit is moving and speaking through his word. He is commanding us to go back to the details because the details matter. There is holiness in the details. If you're writing notes, write that down. If you haven't written that down yet, I've said it four times. All right, when a teacher said something four times, I usually figured, no, nah, no, nah, it was probably about five or six. Then I got it. Then I was like, I should write this down. This might be on the test. All right? Let's go back and look at the details. What does his word say? The anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. There's things in your life. He's saying, just come to me. Just ask me. Just spend time in my presence and listen to me. And I'm going to help you walk through this. And some of you, you're just trying to run through it and hurry through it and do it as fast and as efficiently or as quickly as possible to take the easy route. There's no easy route to holiness. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. Then the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed. They went back to his instructions, and they did it. Leviticus 20, verse 26, you must be holy. This is all throughout for the Levites, for the priests. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. The instruction for the priests, you must be holy as I am holy. And too often we look at that and we think that doesn't apply to me. That applies to Andrew. That applies to Alex. That applies to Megan or Stone. That's for the priests. That's for the pastors. I rebuke you, all right? I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. First Peter 2, 9 but you, here we go, church, but you, you are chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When you accept the call. When you step into relationship with him, you're not stepping in to being a fan. You're not stepping in to being an observer. You're not stepping in to being a butt in the seats. You're stepping into the royal priesthood. There are people today giving their lives to Jesus in the baptism of water. They're saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Some of us, we just want the Savior part because we know the Lordship part. That's where the sacrifice comes in. That's where the change comes in. That's where repentance comes in. And, and we don't really want to give it all up. We just want salvation at the end of this world. But he's saying salvation comes right now when you begin to make me Lord of your life. Because right now you're trying to do it all on your own. You're trying to be Lord of your own life. And the more you try to control, the more you try to do things your own way, There's danger in that because you're missing the details of his holiness. He's called you to be a royal priesthood. That's why we say here, 
We are ministers, not members. This church, when you step into this church and you say, I want to be a part of this community, you're no longer on the sideline. You're in the game. He has called you to be a part of this royal priesthood. Now, some people out there, you're kind of thinking, no, this is just all, this is Old Testament kind of stuff. He doesn't strike people dead like that anymore. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's not burning people with fire anymore. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. The New Testament. Acts 5, verse uh, 1 through 11 here. This is after the believers have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And and I'll tell you what, I I believe that there is a, a fresh filling and a new revival coming in the church that we haven't seen since the early church, that we haven't seen here in the Western church in a long time. There's places where it's starting to break out already. There's places where there's miracles taking place There's healings happening. The Holy Spirit is moving and working the same way it is described, he is described here in the book of Acts. And we keep making excuses for him saying, well, that just doesn't happen anymore. That was for a long time ago, but it's not for now. No, it's for right now. But we've made these excuses because we enjoy our comforts but to make room for the Holy Spirit to move and work again, it means we're gonna have to sacrifice some of our comfort. It means we're gonna have to put to death some of the easy things we've been chasing after, some of the things of this world that we want and the comforts that we desire. And we're gonna have to put them on the altar and say, no, 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 your will, not mine. He wants to make room in our hearts so he can move and break out among his people again. But he's preparing us for his presence. He's preparing us right now as individuals, as families, as a church for his presence. Because there was part of me that thought last week, man, I, every week, I think this is gonna happen. Every week, I think he's gonna start to break out. And he, he's breaking out a little bit and a little bit, but man, I, I wanna see what they saw in the book of Acts. I want to see, we talked about this last week, people being healed just by people's shadows because they carried the presence of Jesus. I want to see that kind of stuff break out in the church again. And there's part of me every week that thinks this is the week he's going to break out. He's going to do something crazy that we've never seen before. And I thought last week, Last week was one of those weeks. I thought, this is it. And all week, I kept thinking, there was something. Some people heard him for the first time. Some people experienced him for the first time. But man, we didn't, we didn't see some of what I thought we were going to see. And so all week, I kept going back to him and just asking, what is it? What is it? What is it? And it finally hit me last night. People still care more about their preferences than my presence. People still care about their preferences more than my presence. His presence is holy. We have to make room for the holy. That's why we start with repentance. 
There are things, some of us in here, we have buried and we haven't dealt with, and he wants to deal with that first before his presence can break out again. He's starting to. You can feel it. You know. You can sense it. He's starting to move and to speak again, and he is breaking out. But we have to deal with some of these preferences before there's room for his presence to move freely like it did in the book of Acts. And like I said, there's a reason he wants to do this. It's because he is gracious and kind. Because look what happens here in Acts 5, verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent. He kept the rest. He claimed this was the full amount, but him and his wife, they said, but let's just hold back a little. They had a preference right there to look good, you know, to look kind of nice and holy in front of all their other church friends. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. This is New Testament. God wants to make room for his presence because if we don't make room in our hearts, man, when we experience the full presence of his holiness, I mean, people still fall down dead in the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament practice. We need to make room for his holiness right here and right now. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Just like they carried out Aaron's sons in the Old Testament, they will carry them out. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who had heard what had happened. Worship team, I want to invite you guys back up as we close out here. His presence comes before our preferences. Repentance comes before revival. What did Peter say? He said, repent and be baptized. A.W. Tozer said this, complete and ungrudging obedience to the will of God is absolutely indispensable to the reception of the Spirit's anointing. As we wait before God, we should reverently search the Scriptures and listen for the voice of gentle stillness to learn what our Heavenly Father expects of us then trusting to his enabling, we should obey to the best of our ability and understanding. 
Some of us, we, we've heard the gospel message. And, and we wanted the salvation. We, we wanted the assurance to know where we would go when we die. But we didn't want the lordship. You can't have one without the other. Every one of us in here, we are a part of the royal priesthood. We have a responsibility to search his word, to search his scripture, to let it carve us up from the inside out, to remove anything that doesn't belong and to bring in everything that should be there, to prepare for his presence. His presence wants to break out among his people again but we have to sacrifice our preferences. We're going to take communion here as a church. And I will tell you, last night as I was searching the scriptures and I was seeking his presence to hear his voice, he, he convicted me of this. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or where you're going there's always a deeper level to go that he wants to take us to, to experience his freedom and his grace. And there is freedom in repentance. And so I, I would tell you now in this moment of communion to remember what he did for us on the cross and to seek and search his voice for what it is he's calling you to sacrifice, that he's calling you to lay down. What are the preferences of this world that you've held on to? at the cost of his holiness. Let's listen to his voice in this moment. And there's power in confession. In fact, I would tell you, you can't have true repentance without confession. And that means between you and God and you and one other person, you need to find someone today in this moment of communion. And when he lays it on your heart, Go and find someone that you can talk to, that you can confess to, that you can say, this is what I've been holding on to. This is what I've been living in. This is what I've been hiding. This is what I buried 30, 40, 50 years ago, and I thought I had healed from, but no, I just buried it, and I never let him deal with it in me. He wants to deal with it today. There's something you hid and you buried, and you thought that was healing. There's no healing when you hide. The only healing comes when you confess and you bring it out into the light and that's where freedom happens and that's where true healing takes place. So in this moment, seek his presence, seek his voice. Find someone to confess to whatever it is, no matter how little or big, it does not matter. Bring it to someone and bring it to him in this moment. Let his presence break out in your life.